0: Please.
1: Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also, become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. What were some of your biggest influences on the dance music front? You know, we talked about your influences on the soul side but who inspired you and influenced you in the dance area?
0: Stevie Wonder, obviously, you know, he was just great. Uh, not so much in terms of disco and stuff like that. He was just a great, fast R&B songwriter. He was just a great composer and uh, just a phenomenal producer. So I followed a lot of his stuff. Uh, then I loved the stuff that was coming out of Philadelphia from Gamble and Huff their type of writing, their type of arranging, Bobby Martin, and once again, my mom's cousin, Tom Bell. All right, I love doing that kind of stuff. Uh, then the music of my cousins, Kool and the Gang, um, you know, that's the New York, New Jersey connection, and that was influencing me and giving me ideas and giving me beats and so forth and so on. But centrally, my primary influences with regard to the dance music that I did um, during stepping, stepping Away from Black Ivory uh, was fueled by James Calloway, who was Black Ivory's bass player, and my cousin, Sonny Davenport, who was um, my cousin and he was a drummer. So between um, James, myself and Sonny, we developed a style and a, and a formula for composing songs and beginning to arrange songs and that became the team in terms of songwriting and so forth and so on. So um, it's just a, a part of continued evolution.
1: Did you did you miss singing a lot? Or you kind of were so buried in what you're doing? I kind of
0: so never stopped singing. See, the funny thing about it is, um, right after I did Freak for Patrick, um, Patrick was friends with Jacques-Fred Petrus, Uh, who was the producer of the Peter Jacques Band um, and also the producer of Change. And he was looking for a lead vocalist to sing on a couple of records on the Peter Jacques Band album, Fire Night Dance. So they called me in and I sang it. And uh, I sang the lead vocals on it, came out, it was a huge disco hit all over the place. And um, that kind of kept my voice in the forefront of people's ears. You know, but they were hearing... Me sing in my natural voice as opposed to my falsetto voice, which is what I started with. Um, That led in 1978 to me being approached by the Alim twins, Tahaka and Tunde Ra Alim, initially to do the the arrangement for their record Hooked on Your Love. (coughs) Excuse me. uh, after I did the arrangement and brought in the musicians and, you know, we did the strings, horns, rhythm, everything like that, they asked me if I would consider singing the song, you know, just singing, doing a lead. And I said, sure, I'd I'll, I'll be happy to. And um, once again, I sang that lead in my natural voice, and Hooked on Your Love came out, and it was a, a massive hit for them, all right? Uh, but in the meantime, it began establishing me as a lead vocalist in my natural voice. Um, so uh, shortly after that came, um, let's do it uh, by conversion. And right after that came the log album and continuing with doing singles with the Lames, um after um, hooked on your love. We did get down Friday night. Then we did um, release yourself and get loose and that led to confusion and that led to the casually formal album on Atlantic. Uh, so all of which kind of at during which time I transmuted from a slow jam falsetto singer into uh, an uptempo dance kind of guy singing in my natural voice. And that's what the world has heard more of than, you know, say what I did during the Black Ivy years.
1: It must have surprised some folks, though. You know, like you're the guy that sang in those those you know Soul ballads.
0: And, it right? It still does. It still. I have friends that still don't believe it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's what it is. That's the truth of it.
1: Leroy, I want to mention a few of the acts that I mentioned at the intro, and if you could just kind of share uh, a memory or two from from some of those, like um, uh, Herbie Mann. How did you connect with him?
0: Again, um Herbie Man was a Patrick Adams project. He was working, he had a contract with Atlantic Records. Uh he did, he did BB King, he did the freak album, he did quite a few uh quite a few things. And uh when Atlantic, Herbie Man was already signed to Atlantic and they were looking for a new producer. Um so they offered the project to Patrick and Patrick said, Leroy, what do you have for Herbie Man? And um, (laughs) I really didn't have anything. So again, I called in James Calloway and Sonny Davenport. And together we wrote a song called Stomp Your Feet to the Beat that Patrick loved immediately. And he played it for Herbie Mann. He loved it. And so we went in and with this massive orchestra, uh, massive production, I remember we did it at the power station, which was, I think that was the biggest studio I'd ever been in to date. Alright, oh, I uh, think we had something like oh god, close to forty musicians, strings, horns, everything like that, harp. It was crazy. And um um that was my first full orchestral arrangement. Patrick just said, do that song, write the charts, put it in front of the musicians. Good luck. <laughs> so um the musicians when we when we ultimately began producing a song. And uh, I was most worried about the orchestra, but I put the charts in front of the orchestra. And when they started realizing it, they was like, wow, you did this and so forth. I said, yeah, it's my first joint. And they they were like, um, you know, you sound like you've been doing this for years and so forth. And they actually got up and gave me a standing ovation. Um, and I was like, well, don't do that. You know, that's just going straight to my head. Um <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, from that point, Patrick was um, confident about my arrangement abilities and my arrangement, my my ability to put um, charts in front of musicians and do a competent job. So I was always grateful to him for trusting me to do that.
1: I'm thinking that during that era, you must have been pretty much just like living in the studio
0: yeah yeah we did a lot of stuff and we were always looking to go back in whenever we went home we were planning to what's what's the next time we're going to be going in what's the next project uh it was very very busy and very very active and um it was cool it was cool because i had uh as i said in james and sunny i had an amazing team um uh, you know, and we just supported each other uh, to get us through the work. So it was it was, it was, was very cool.
1: What about Eddie Kendricks? I'm thinking that must have maybe been especially a thrill. I'm sure you idolized The Temptations and all.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Eddie Kendricks was one of my favorite vocalists. Uh, the stuff that he did with The Temptations, Cloud Nine, the way you do the things you do, just my imagination. Those were just dream songs for me. So when Patrick said, I got the Eddie Kendricks project on it and Iris the Records, uh, you got a song for him. <laughs> and I said, No, but I I'll write one, you know. Um, and um uh I think the next step was to tell James and Sonny, we're going to be writing a song for Eddie Kendricks. And everybody was like, oh man, that's the temptation. Oh my God, that's an idol. And I was just on the moon too. So then we called Eddie. Patrick gave us Eddie's number and we called him. And we had a conversation with Eddie about what he wanted to sing about. And it's something I like to do when I'm dealing with you know artists. Um, I try to tell tailor something for them. And one of the things Eddie told us, um, you know, uh, casually that was that he always hated doing the moves with the Temptations. He's not a dancer. I'm not a dancer. I don't like dancing. I did the moves because I had to. That was part of the job of being a temptation, but I'm not a dancer. And um, that actually gave Sonny the idea and the song title, Never Used to Dance, right? So we, we go back into our little home studio and um, we begin constructing that song. And uh, it was all about um, the idea of never used to dance is, You know, the guys that aren't dancers, you know how the, the guys is like standing on the wall and just checking the chicks out and all of that, right? Um, but you know, you can't get them on the dance floor, but there's this one chick that's just so fine, right? <laughs> that, and you see her dancing and then she gets you out there on the, she's the one that gets you out there on the floor. And that was the whole story of Never Used to Dance. Eddie heard the story, loved it. And um, um, we went in the studio and had a, an a amazing time just working with a legend like Eddie Kendricks. It was just amazing.
1: I can only imagine what a thrill that was for you at the time. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> how, how did you you and Patrick feel when Uh, disco uh, started to wane and there was sort of that backlash, you know, you guys continued to, uh, you know, produce quality dance music, but there certainly was, you know, a bit of a backlash heading into the early eighties. How did you uh, deal with that?
0: Well, we knew dance music wasn't going nowhere, no matter what you call it. You know, I mean, disco was a term that came in to describe dance music. But before disco came in as a term, there was dance music that fit the definition of disco, all right? So it didn't really matter to us what it was called or the depth of disco as a term. Terms die, right? Um, But dance music, just as it existed before disco was a term, um, will always exist, you know? And now, although it's being called house and techno and you know, the different forms like that, it's still essentially dance music, whether you call it disco or house or whatever. It's still dance music. Dance music didn't go anywhere. So Patrick and I weren't really worried.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think uh, first they started calling it uh, like club music or something after they stopped one and called it disco. Right. Right. And then when house disco, came in.
0: You know, and the whole thing about disco is dead. That was just a giant publicity stunt, anyway. When radio stations and so forth staged that event in order to regain control over what they felt like they lost control of, which is a lot of people were doing disco, so we need to do something that kills it. And um, they staged that gigantic event. Now, all of it meant nothing to me because, as I said, I knew the dance music wasn't going to know it.
1: How did you uh, connect with Rick James Uh, or did you connect or just contribute a song or what was that about?
0: Well, we met him and and, uh, well, uh, here's the story. It's real quick. Um, We went into the studio Blank Tapes um, on 20th Street in New York City uh, because the proprietor of the studio, Bob Blank, he just had some extra time and he said, would you guys like to come in and do a couple of demos just on, you know, off the fly? And uh, so we said, yeah, let's go. So, you know, James, Sonny and I went down there and uh, we, we wrote and produced three demos. Um, and one of them was Big Time, the first one. So on our way uptown, we said, uh, I gave Patrick a call and I said, Patrick, where you at? And uh, he was at Kenny Morris's house. Kenny Morris was one of Patrick's partners and co-producers. He lived on 57th Street. So we said, well, we're going to slide by and stop by and see you, because you know Patrick said he'd like to hear what we did. We get up to Kenny's house and get upstairs, and they let us inside. And uh, sitting in the couch and in, in, in the couch area is Rick James, and Kenny introduces us, and uh, we're like, oh wow, Rick James, it's so cool, nice to meet you, so forth and so on, and. um, you know, sat down, nice glass of wine, you know, clinking glasses and stuff like that. And um, Rick said, well, what you got? What'd you do? What'd you do? And we said, well, we got a demo, but it's just a demo and so forth. Well, I had sung rough vocals on it, and it was just James, myself, and Sonny playing on it, right? And he said, uh, let me hear it, let me hear it. And we played it, and it. I think we. he made it first to the first chorus and into the second verse before he stopped and he, oh that's mine that's my song I need that song I'm Patrick Patrick I need that song I need that song can we do this can we do this and I me sunny and James looked at each other like oh right day um so um we left to take well they made a copy they made a cassette copy for Rick to take with them And I said, Patrick, we trust you to work out the details of the deal. And um, a few days later, Patrick came back with the deal um, with Rick James. And um, that's how uh, the song was assigned to him. Uh, And it came out. And I I would like to think that Big Time revitalized his career, which was waning a little bit at that time. Um, And it kind of brought him back into another space where ultimately he was able to do super freak and all of the other hit records that he did post big time.
1: Yeah. Garden of love album. That was, you know, easily my favorite track on there. The first track, uh, mm-hmm. how much did it end up sounding like you had envisioned it sounding when it came out?
0: Um, he changed it and, and, and the changes were cool. Um, like I said, we, didn't really have a a solid vision of it. We just did the demo and we knew where we wanted the verse to be and the lyrics to be and the melody so forth and so on, the basic structure. Um, But we wanted Rick to have, you know, uh, every ability to be as creative as he needed to be. And so uh, he took it out to California. He did some things, jazzed it up, juiced it up and came back with, his definitive version, the version, the single that you know. And uh, we were fine with it. You know, we were were just like, uh, for instance, he added that part. I was born to funk. I was born to funk and roll in the big time. He added that. And we thought it was great. You know, horns were great and everything. Patrick was happy with it. Uh, So we were cool. It was like, yay.
1: (laughs) And then you did some uh, background vocals for Kashif.
0: Yeah, that was that again that project was with the Aline brothers. Uh the Aline brothers uh met Kashif and began a relationship with Kashif. Uh and they had this great song called Coming Back Home To You. Right? Or well, I think that's the name, Coming Home or I'm Coming Home, one of the two. Um, and they asked me to come in and do the background vocals, arrange the vocals. Um which I did, and then they took the song to Kasheep, and Kasheep liked the background and where the vocals were going, so he overdubbed new lead on the vocals that I did, and he just kept everything on the album and uh Kasheep was just a talent that I was just in awe of because his, his style his 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 chord structures, his changes were just brilliant, and so I was um uh, uh I was really happy to. Uh, have this opportunity to work with him.
1: Was he as uh, nice and personable as he was talented musically?
0: He was friendly. He was cool. He was very cool people. I mean, um, I never had a problem with it. We did performances, the Yaleem's and I, with him uh, many times. And uh, he was always just a great personable person. I, I never had a problem with him. Uh, he was friendly. He was cool.
1: And I noticed one of the Aleem projects had uh, significant contributions from Edwin Birdsong. How did uh, that come to be?
0: Edwin Birdsong uh, was a very good friend of Steve, uh, of of, um, of the Aleem twins during the time that um, they became friends when the Aleem twins were doing background vocals for Jimi Hendrix. Right, and that's how they met Edwin Birdsong. on. the relationship just continued. So fast forward to around the time that the aliens and I were working together and Edwin was still part of the crew, their crew. And uh, of course I'd known Edwin from the encounters that we had, he had with Black Ivy and myself. Um, but this was the first time that I interacted with him as on with him on the producer uh, engineer tip and Edwin was cool people man he was a very very talented um, he was close friends with Stevie who was another one of my teachers um, and uh, you know I, I I always had fun with Edwin he used to call me um, Mr. Sunglassy because I always wore sunglasses so, so he called <laughs> me Sunglassy or sh-
1: Shades one of the two would work I guess yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I used to have this umbrella, you know, a retractable umbrella that covered up and became a cane. And so he used to call me Umbrella Sunglassy. <laughs> and And uh, God God rest him. Another did, one about angels.
1: Yes, too many, far too many. But uh, thank goodness we have the great works they've done for eternity. That's um,
0: yes, sir. Yes, Did
1: you ever get to meet Stevie Winder?
0: <laughs> yes, is the answer to that. Okay, absolutely yes. Stevie became my mentor in 1972. Oh, when boy. He, when he invited uh, Black Ivy and, and myself to the Apollo Theater, this is around the time he had just released Talking Book. And uh, he was impressed with the Don't Turn Around album. And he. this is when they performances at Apollo would last a full week 7 days um and um he invited us on day 1 to the matinée the afternoon show and uh he was we of course I was over the moon to meet him I was already singing half of his catalog <laughs> and um I loved everything that he did so I was really over the moon to meet him and um uh, we were just supposed to be there for the afternoon show, the matinee show, but I asked him if I could stay. And he said, sure, of course you can stay, you know? So we started hanging out during the time we were hanging out. He would always go to the piano and I'd just sit there and watch him play and ask him questions and stuff like that. So that actually became a teacher mentor, uh, a mentor mentee relationship, uh, student teacher. And, uh, he began to impart things to me, you know, invaluable things uh, that uh, that I still use today. Uh, he taught me uh, a formula for the development of perfect pitch. He taught me how to play without looking at the keyboard and know what you what you're doing. And he also taught me um, uh, the virtue and values of humility as well as the importance of what your song says and what you're releasing into it. The energy you're releasing into the world uh, with what you write, you know, are you releasing positive energy or negative energy and why? And I remember he said to me, um, uh, you always want to make something that your grandkids would be cooler here. That won't be a problem for them to hear something you want your grandkids and their kids to hear. And I always took that to heart to be positive and to try to impart positive messages with my music. Uh, So, yes, we became very fast friends. Uh, When we recorded the Feel It album uh, at the Hit Factory, I remember that we had both the fifth floor for several days and Stevie Wonder... Was right on the second floor, booked for several days. So we'd bounce up and up, upstairs and downstairs to each other's sessions during that time. So um, uh, I consider Stevie Wonder a mentor, uh, a godsend, and I consider it an absolute blessing to have met him and for him to have been so kind as to impart the things that he did.
1: Mm. Wow! Thank you for sharing oh, that, Leroy. That,
0: that's a yes, I'm That's
1: <laughs> a big yes, yeah. Um, and he's my very first favorite artist, and I still just love him so much.
0: hmm uh, There's nothing about Stevie Wonder not to love. I think you know. I don't know. You know. I don't know all the personal stuff. I don't know any of that. I prefer that I don't know it, but you know, cause we all got personal stuff going on. But um, as far as his professional self and just the kindness and the humility and the humbleness of the man. And he's a visionary, he's an absolute visionary who has the ability to see the world in ways that no one else sees it. And um, that rubs off on you.
1: And just a genius.
0: Oh, genius! Only begins to describe him.
1: Yeah, you
0: know, uh, the way you would consider Ray Charles a genius, Stevie one, um, Quincy Jones a genius. He's on that. He's that genius level.
1: So, 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 "Continuum" was the first release that you were reunited for.
0: Correct. Um, around 1995, I returned to the group, and. Um, We started performing together, doing Black Ivy performances, myself, Stuart, and Russell. Um, And uh, somewhere around 2000, 2001, um, I said, hey, it might be a good idea if we do some new recording. And uh, they thought it was a good idea. Uh, At this time, all three of us had uh, considerable production skills and abilities on our own right. So I suggested that it would be a good idea for each of us to deliver albums uh, from our production houses. You know, in other words, Leroy Burgess production, Russell Patterson production, Stuart Bascom production. And then once we put it all in the pot, we all work on it together and stuff like that. Um, uh, So this resulted in what is an 11-tune album uh, that really demonstrates the diversity between us as creative people and producers and so forth and so on while we're still working together in the same group.
1: How much, how many years transpired between you taking the stage with them?
0: Hmm. I would say I left in 77 and I didn't return until 95. So what's that?
1: 18 years. So Mm -hmm. What was it like? That must have been quite an experience. You know, that first show back together again, I'm thinking.
0: Uh, (laughs) It was um, fun. A little bit awkward. We were still feeling each other back out and getting used to each other after a considerable amount of time um, apart. Um, But ultimately, we we managed to get out. I'll, I'll stride back and I'll groove back. And uh, from 95, we've just been looking forward.
1: There's a, a, a big fan of this show, Truth and Rhythm, who's um, a avid record collector, especially like 80s music. And um, he gave me a, a few records that he asked me to just ask you about. So I promised him I would do that. He's a big fan. He's actually in the UK, so he has a little different perspective.
0: UK uh, on people. it. I love, I love, I love the UK. I'm always there. To, um, they are so wonderful and so appreciative of my work. I really love those guys.
1: He asks, uh, "Who exactly were Personal Touch? Was it a working band, or was it just a random name used?"
0: Uh, Personal Touch was. Uh, it was a group name at that time. They were creating. Producers were creating uh studio bands was called studio bands because it wasn't an actual band you know per se as you know like the jackson five or black ivory or something like that they weren't an actual band but they were a studio concept that was given a name right And, and in this case personal touch was the name of that studio concept and that was the lead vocals on that was uh donna mcgee
1: He also mentions conversion uh, two times uh, 12, the track Sweet Thing.
0: Now, Sweet Thing was a conversion record that, you know, I did, um, you know, uh, Sonny and James weren't available for that particular composition. So I kind of had to do a conversion record with them in mind on my own. And um, uh, so that was the second conversion record. Uh, This one for Vanguard Records. And um, that's how that came about. Greg Carmichael contacted me. And at the time, James was away uh, working. I think he was either working with Najee or Bobby Humphrey as their bass player. And uh, I forget where Sonny was, but Sonny wasn't available either. So uh, Greg needed it done right away, and I just took the gig.
1: Heartbreaker and Stranger. He wants again,
0: Stranger were part of, uh, after we did the log album for South Soul and it was so successful, South Soul approached me to do uh, an EP, what was to be a four tune EP for their label. Um, and Heartbreak and Stranger were two of the four songs that I recorded for South Soul under the auspices. And this was the first thing that really came out under my own name as Leroy Burgess. Heartbreaking Stranger came out as a 12-inch single on the, on reverse side. Uh, Heavenly did not come out until the third song. Heavenly did not come out until about 2001 or two, uh, and it was featured on the Leeway Burgess Anthology album. It has since been re, remixed and remastered by uh, the Reflex and released on the new South Soul compilation. Then One Plus One, which pretty much had disappeared. We had given up hope on it ever being found. Uh, Dave Lee from Z Records in London uh, managed to dig up a copy uh, that had the original session on it and all the original parts. And he did uh, an amazing mix on it. And um, that came out in 2020. December 2020.
1: Last one is Satin, Silk, and Lace. Um, the, the lineup.
0: I know Satin, Silk, and Lace. Um, I think Allison Williams was one of the people that was a member of that. I'm not sure about Melissa Morgan. Um, and I'm also not sure that... Let's see. Satin, Silk, and Lace. Uh... The names that come to mind is Allison and Melissa Morgan. Um, uh, there may have been others, or maybe James Crabb Robinson was a part of that as well, because satin, silk, and lace was one of the projects. Uh, by I believe, Jock Fred Petrus had something to do with that project. Um, um, and uh, again, it was just something that I was called in to do, you know, background vocals or.
1: As you look back, is there one particular performance or show that just stands out to you if something happened, whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether it was funny, whether it was unexpected, or what have you?
0: All of the shows that we did in the 70s were all of the above. that you, Funny, unexpected, weird, wild, crazy. Um, and uh, they all stand out. So I can't say one more than any given, any other from back in that period. I enjoyed the time that we spent on stage with the Shy Lights uh, during the time Eugene Record was still with us um, and um, uh, Squirrel and Red. and know that we were quite close with them. Um, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed all of it. It was a thrill for me um, to be a part of that and to be considered up here to these people that I had spent a large part of my life just being in awe of. Um, so um, a lot of it was a dream come true type thing for me.
1: Are you able to pick one or two tracks from the catalog that you're just most fond of?
0: Mainline is one of my favorites. Um, that's just, you know, and part of that is the reuniting with my with my brothers from Black Ivory. Um uh the work that I did on with the Elaine twins on casually on the casually formal album, um, I'm particularly fond of because uh that really uh gave me an opportunity to spread my wings. Um as a producer and as a songwriter. Um, uh, the song, when when Bobby Humphrey did No Way, um, and she called in Stevie Wonder to um, play guest harmonica on it. That was an absolute dream come true because this was my mentor actually playing on my composition. And, um, you know, when that happened, I was like, through the moon. Um, All of it has been a journey that has been a blessing. You know, that has really been a blessing to me. Um, And um, I, I pray and I ask God to just try to keep me worthy of it. And for as long as he puts the strength in me to do it. I'm going to try to do my very best with it, Um, uh, 54 years and counting now.
1: So I mentioned a while back, and I promised we'd get back to it, uh, new music. Uh, What's in the works?
0: Well, I have, um, uh, it's actually been open since 2005, but we opened in earnest uh, just in the last two years. Uh, I now have my own record label called Burgess Entertainment Recording slash Prose International. And while I know that's a very long name, that's the name of the company. And on this company, we are putting out um, new material for me. I'm getting ready to release an album. I just released a single a little while ago, which was a cover of uh, Leonard Bernstein's wonderful song, Somewhere. Uh, and I did a dance version of that. Uh I have a new artist uh Tyrone Williams who he just released his first album on the label called High Time we're about to put out his second single um and um uh one of our one, one of my partners on the label uh PL Sweets he is another artist and producer that uh we put out his first single back in September and we're gearing up for his second single to come out sometime in the early to mid spring. Uh, Finally, uh, I'm excited about my new album. Again, this is a new album under my own name, Leroy Burgess. And the album is called These Days. And it's an allegory on the times that we're going through and the times that we're living in that kind of examines the world for what it's where we're at right now. And, um, I'm quite proud of it because, uh, I'd like to think that it has some very positive messages to impart.
1: When do you think we might hear or see that?
0: I'm scheduling a release to, well, the single, uh, is being mixed now we're doing final mixes on the single. Now the name of the single is all together. And, um, The album I I have slated to be released between, uh, say, early March and maybe April. I want it to be out by April or early May at the very latest, the full album. Um, uh, Because uh, again, this is a single place where my current vision is contained. And um, I'm excited about it because it seems I have a lot to say. (laughs) <laughs>
1: are, are you going to produce hard copies?
0: Um, we're working on trying to get a vinyl budget happening and do a vinyl run before we do digital runs. Uh, uh, we're in the midst of negotiating and trying to get those, those numbers happening. Vinyl is very strange these days because the vinyl manufacturers a backlog for months, so you got to get something in there now, and then you might have it in your hands say by April.
1: I think I everybody was it. Uh, even Adele Dell not get hers done in time, right? So yeah,
0: it's, it's it's I mean it doesn't matter how much money you throw at them; they're all backlogged. And um, so, whenever the sooner you can get your project into them, the better, because you're gonna have to wait. It's not like I mean before you you could hit them and. You get your product in um, two to four weeks or something like that. Six weeks at the outside. Right now we're talking months that you have to wait because they're just backlogged. But yeah, I, 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 it's my hope to, uh, first release these days and the single altogether on vinyl and then make it available digitally.
1: And what's a website where people can go and keep up?
0: Um, the website is Burgessent Recordings.com. I think it's the full name, Burgess Entertainment Recordings.com. And uh we have a Burgess Ent Recordings Facebook page. Of course, I have uh, uh two friend pages and something like four fan pages. Uh so we're very accessible and very available. Um And, uh, you know, if uh, anybody would like to reach out to us, uh, uh, we're always happy to hear from, you know, people who are interested. Um, So uh, one thing that I'd like to say is I just would like to always try to take a moment and just say thank you to everyone who has been kind enough to give my record and my work and my music the time of day and a moment of of, of their time. And I hope that I brought a smile to their face and a smile to their hearts. And I'm just so grateful for them allowing me into their lives for a few moments. Um, So I want to just thank everybody and wish everybody safety and to be well and take care of themselves. And God bless everybody.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you said that, Leroy. Thank you. And thank you for doing this. And thank you for all the great music for so many years
0: pleasure is mine. I thank you so much, Scott, for having me. Um, God bless everybody out there, man. You guys are cool. Thank you. Um, And uh, my new tour is getting ready to start up. Uh, We've already done London once. We're going back to London uh, for the Gala Festival. Then we're going to Amsterdam. I think we have something coming up in Norway above Oslo. Um, that's coming up a little bit later on and uh possibly Brazil and uh we're just we're just beginning to book it because it's still not safe. You know different countries are opening and on different levels, and you have to be uh aware of the protocols and be safe so that everybody's safe. The audiences are safe. The protagonists and the band and myself and uh technicians are all safe we, safety is the first concern. And when it becomes safer for all of us out here, then I look forward to um, us getting back to what we used to in terms of partying down.
1: We look forward to that, too, for sure. So be safe. Take care. Uh, Thank you again. And good luck with all these projects you have in the works. It's exciting.
0: God bless you, man. And thank you so much again, Scott. And, um, yeah, it's exciting. I, I mean, you know, I love it. Uh, I still love music just as much as I did when I was a kid. So praise God for that. Thanks again, man.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at FunkinStuff.net, I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the & Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers. Joining Truth and Rhythms membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at FunkinStuff.net, buying everything is on the one, the first guide to funk book, at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at FunkinStuff.net. And linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance, and sponsorship inquiries and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX saying, keep on keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one.